Section 9 of How the Codex Was Found by Margaret Dunlop Gibson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 9. Administration of the Convent. The first point that attracts our attention when we try to say something about the mechanism which moves the affairs of the hoary convent of the God-trodden mountain is this strange phenomenon, unusual in ecclesiastical history, the existence in it of a consecrated archbishopric. Why should a land uninhabited by man, devoid of a spiritual flock, yet have a bishop, not to say an archbishop, while time has brought changes to so many other lands, both near and far, troubling and diminishing the elect of the church, depriving them of a name and extinguishing them. We can account for it only by summing up all the evidence we have been able to gather, from which it appears that the seat of the bishopric in these parts was at Feyran, and this bishopric survived till the middle of the seventeenth century, when it was dissolved and gave rise to the creation of a new bishopric called definitely that of Sinai. Therefore we find in later times an episcopal see in that famous monastery, always meeting with the care and favor of the Byzantines in Egypt by command of the rulers of Constantinople, and with the removal of its center hearth at Feyran, the colonies of Christians around that place gradually ceased. Some have maintained that Justinian established a bishopric at Sinai, but even after the time of that emperor, no mention is made of any bishop till after the middle of the ninth century. From the beginning of the tenth and onwards, we have a continuous chain of bishops till A.D. 1510, when the throne was vacant till 1540, and again from 1547 till 1567, from which time till now there have been seventeen archbishops. The second of these intervals is very important, 1547 through 1567, because then the bishopric was dissolved in Egypt by the three assembled patriarchs of Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. The reason for the dissolution of this archiepiscopal see was the constant rivalry between the patriarchs of Alexandria and Jerusalem about their jurisdiction at Sinai, especially on the part of the Alexandrian prelates, who left no stone unturned to lay their despotic hand on the monastery and episcopate of Sinai, from which endeavor many scandals arose. In short, one who has gone through the history of this episcopate learns that its order and its origin in the arrangement of the Eastern Orthodox hierarchy was one of the most burning and important phenomena in the history of the Sinai convent. The question was raised in different ways, and never once argued according to ecclesiastical canons. It had important consequences from time to time, not only unsettling the welfare of the convent, but also throwing the whole church into convulsions. Time and the Church have solved the problem of the Archbishop of Sinai's place in relation to the ecclesiastical hierarchy somewhat as follows. He is an Archbishop, having a canonical descent and relation to the Patriarch of Jerusalem. It follows that the Archbishop must, one, be consecrated by his own Patriarch, oikiu, canonically and without bribery, otherwise his consecration will be null and void. Two, Remember the name of the patriarch who consecrated him, in his prayers, no doubt. 3. Be called Theophilostatus, or Sibus Mutatus. 4. Be summoned at will by the holy patriarch of Jerusalem. 5. 
not have the right to send pacificals or other synodical letters, nor give letters of absolution. And to these the Archbishop of Sinai is bound by canonical right. But the prelate of Sinai is not only an archbishop, but also abbot of the convent, and on account of that, other important conditions have to be observed. 1. Each archbishop is elected by the synod and brotherhood of the Sinite fathers as their abbot, as his rule is given to him by no one except the community of the monastery. 2. He is consecrated afterwards by the patriarch of Jerusalem simply as bishop, but the independence of the monastery in no way suffers from this relation of the archiepiscopate to the throne of the holy city. 3. The episcopal character of the Sinaitic prelate does not affect the monastery, for he is only abbot of it, and not bishop, as his pastoral staff is stretched out over the country alone. Therefore he has no right to sit on the throne, which stands there that no confusion may exist in things which cannot be confused, and that not even the most zealous bishop may violate the autonomy and independence of the monastery, as some have tried to do. There are in the Church most emphatic commands and decisions on this subject. 4. From all this it appears that the Archbiscopate of Sinai has a double character, that in the prelate's appointment there must be cooperation between the convent and Jerusalem, the one electing, the other consecrating. If the monastery wishes to accuse him of a fault, it can only turn to the Patriarch of Jerusalem and the Palestinian Synod to whom it presented him for consecration. Thus, if the worst comes to the worst, and there are cross-accusations for grave faults, and a rupture between archbishop and monastery, abbot and brotherhood, the appeal of the accusers is directed canonically to the patriarch of Jerusalem, who can punish according to his judgment, even to the deprivation of the archbishop, but he cannot deprive the abbot of the autonomous monastery. Yet canonically he would be justified in punishing the offending archbishop, also as abbot, if accused by the monastery. And no other patriarch has any jurisdiction here. Strange to say, besides the archiepiscopate and authoritative abbacy, there exists also another powerful force in the monastery of Sinai, the Holy Syndicate, Sunoxus, which represents in the most aristocratic way the whole Sinaitic Brotherhood, has the greatest influence in its affairs, directing and bridling the possibly arbitrary conduct of the archbishop, and through him and with him regulating the mechanism of the monastery, both internal and external. This syndicate consists of the leaders among the monastic brethren. Its number varies, and there are patriarchal decrees limiting it to twelve. The syndics are chosen by the archbishop and the other members, excepting those who are at the time Dikaios, sub-prior, Skufulox, warden, also librarian, and Oikonomus, bursar, who are always members of this syndicate. This holy syndicate, being thus formed, is entrusted with all the administration of the monastery. All official documents must be countersigned by this syndicate and be sealed with the great seal of the monastery. This great seal is circular in shape, and in its middle is represented the bush, the mountain, and the monastery, Moses, Aaron, and St. Catherine, surrounded by the legend, The Holy Monastery from the Great Justinian in the Holy and God-trodden Mount of Sinai, in the year of Christ, 529. Note, this seal is stamped on the book from which I am translating, 
a gift from the prior to myself. End of note. The Dikaios has the place of abbot, as we have said, being the first in the monastery after the archbishop. He has the care of ecclesiastical order, of the good conduct of the fathers, of the entertaining of strangers, of the service and monastic education of novices, fulfilling and lightening in these things the duties of the holy syndicate and of the archbishop. The school fulox is entrusted with the keeping of the church in order, the care of the holy relics, etc. He holds his office for life and must never go far from the monastery. The duties of the oikonomus are to superintend all the victuals of the monastery, submitting from time to time to the syndicate a list of what is necessary and receiving his commands from it. He manages all the relationships of the monastery, judges all its complicated affairs, punishing and rewarding, engaging camels, guaranteeing the comfort of travelers and pilgrims, commanding the tribes of the Kafira, himself providing all means of transport, and in general, superintending every direct and indirect connection of the monastery with the Bedouin, who refer to him as their leader and judge. Besides this private and select syndicate, in special circumstances, when general measures have to be adopted, during the journeys of the archbishop to and from the monastery, in the temporary vacancy of the throne, at the election of a new archbishop, and so forth, a general synod, synoxus, of all the brethren is called together, from the humblest monk to the highest archimandrite, who all sign the synodical acts, regulate and legislate, having the whole management of the monastery in their hands. The whole synod, besides its duties as described above, has also the duty of preserving its canonical relations towards the Orthodox Church in general, and the Patriarchate of Jerusalem in particular. The patriarchs have the care of it, and in the treaties is expressly mentioned their obligation to observe the ritual of the church, of the table, and of the other monastic customs. Such are the complete abstinence from animal food in the monastery, the prohibition of private meals in the cells, of the storage of wine, and other such things, the exact performance of rites, both daily and at feast days, according to the variety of monastic customs, upon the basis of the ritual of St. Saba, as reformed by the Staudites, no intercourse being allowed in the monastery with the outer world, nor voluntary excursions either to Egypt or within the peninsula, and the fulfillment of the duties of service toward the altar, and the leavening of bread, etc. End of section 9. Recording by Hannah Mary.